Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Hisham Azuz, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Jamie Weeks, who after building a successful recruitment career as a contract recruiter, went on the entrepreneurial journey with his co-founder, Ryan, who both started a company called Intasso. They specialize in the cybersecurity space, and over the last three or so years, they've been building this successful company that serve the cybersecurity space across EMEA and US. We dive into so much in this episode, but particularly we really dive into what works today when it comes to client acquisition. That is one of Jamie's strongest skill sets, and we really dig deep into what it takes to be successful at business development in today's market. And as well as that, we talk about Jamie's journey on building a recruitment business, building a high-performing team, and so much more. Enjoy the episode. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, coming over. Where where did you travel from? Uh, Thatcham, just outside of Reading. Outside so, of Reading. Yeah, it's not got the Elizabeth line now. Yeah, I only work with clients on the Elizabeth line. It's, <laughs> I remember you saying that. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually a game changer. To be fair, isn't it? It is. I mean, it used to take me about an hour and forty five door to door getting into the city. Now it's it's about an hour since they've electrified the lines and put the Elizabeth line in, and most of my clients, fortunately, are around Liverpool Street. So mm, nice. Yeah, it works. Well, I appreciate you uh, making the trip. Look, I think I'm really excited today to sit down with you to really talk about this entrepreneurial journey that you've been on for over the last three and a bit years with Intasso. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to really talk about that, focus uh, on that. What I like to do is just give everyone a bit of context about you, your journey, the journey that you're on. So if I'm missing anything here, let me know what you think is important. But just from preparing for this, I think you said... In your previous job, you were one of the biggest performers and you was in contract recruitment. Yep. Right? I think you said you got your book to like 40k, 50k. Uh, no, not quite 50. It was, oh. about, yeah, it was about 40k. Appreciate uh, the honesty. Month. Yeah. <laughs> I wish it was 50. <laughs> uh, and what, what world was that in? What sector was that in? Uh, interim finance recruitment. Interim so finance. anything qualified. Okay, cool. And then November 2019, Intasso started trading. You joined in 2020. Yeah. You're the co-founder of that business with a guy called Ryan. Yeah. Then in the first year, I think you hired your first person within six months, but uh, ended the first proper year around 400 grand net fee income and around six people. Then end of 2021, it was more 950 grand net fee income, four people. And then end of 2022, you got to nearly 2 million in revenue and there's around 18 people in the business. You've got people in the UK and Carolina. Yeah, that's right. And then obviously your world is you specialise in go-to-market teams. Is that particularly in cybersecurity or have I got that wrong? So only in cybersecurity. Okay, only in cybersecurity. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. you've got other part of the business that's more like tech 
That's right. So they do, in terms of how we carved it out, we've got our technical team who plays sort of blue team, so defenders, attackers, all the way through to technical CISO into the end users. So like your British Gases, your Thames Waters, and then my area of the business focuses on GTM teams for cybersecurity vendors. Mm-hmm. So the guys that make the products. So like McAfee is a popular one you, you might have heard of before. I haven't, no, sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it was a Netflix doc- documentary about the... Uh, oh, the really? Yeah. Sorry, I haven't watched it, sorry. Yeah, yeah. so we, we basically build the sales teams for those those vendors. So okay. our, our niche is we're, we're sort of an inch wide, but a mile deep and cover the entire cybersecurity ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So loads to, to go into here. I guess always like to just start the million pound question. We'd just love to hear your take on what you believe the the sort of common characteristics and traits are of successful recruiters in, in today's market. Let, let's start there. Yeah, so I would say discipline is a big one. I think it's quite easy for people to be motivated when, when they start a job <laughs> and then that that process tends to dwindle out when they don't get results. So as long as you're disciplined with your process and know the outcome will come eventually as long as you follow those steps. Mm. And then probably tenacity you need to be tenacious. You need to want it. It's an easy job to be busy, but achieve nothing. So as long as you're being tenacious at trying to achieve the objectives you set in line with the the sort of discipline trait, Mm. you're going to be successful. Mm. It'll be really hard to not be successful doing that. Mm. Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, definitely, I really like the discipline piece that is definitely overlooked. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you interview a lot of people. Is it, is it quite a popular one? Well, in terms of what people say, yeah, probably not. The w- people haven't said the word discipline, but maybe like they hold themselves accountable. They do what's needed. So I think I, I do really like that word discipline because I think if you have, I think I heard on a podcast recently like discipline is motivation for breakfast, and it's just like you, you need to be able to do the things that are required even when you don't want to do them. Yeah, no, I agree. You can't just sit there going, oh, I'm, I'm just waiting for this motivation to. <laughs> come through me and then I'll, I'll do this BD call go, you know get, I mean? go get a large cup of coffee and then you're <laughs> motivated <laughs> so let's talk about this journey then that you've been on I guess why don't we just start would you mind you gave us some really good context of the business but would you mind just sharing like sort of your role within the business like in terms of how that's ended up looking what you mainly have focused on in the last sort of three and a bit years and then I think that will give people some good context as well yeah so we I did, yeah we I had no real idea of what, what was going to happen if I'm honest so mm. Ryan yeah he's main founder of the business we worked together for, for several years before I was getting a little bit bored of placing finance professionals my market was you know it was anything south of High Wycom and anything north of the M3 um, mm. so it was quite a small area I was in and I'd done that for five years then Ryan was talking about the concept of of Intasso didn't want to get involved with him and that's why it was it's too good to stand down, really. Mm. I always wanted to do something like it, but probably didn't feel ready to go and be a sole founder. And I don't think Ryan wanted someone with him to sort of go on that journey. We didn't know how successful it was going to be. We just knew we were going to sort of initially set up, try and build revenue, which we were both good at, um, and sort of see where it took us and then then put a plan in place before yeah. we started hiring people. Because mm-hmm. um, that was probably the scariest bit, right? When you mm. get people to leave their jobs and get on board with you so that was an interesting time but in terms of when we got going Ryan got going initially I then couldn't join because I needed to stick around at my last company to use my private health care for <laughs> believe it or not I've had free nose jobs <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah I had that one booked in for January and then I was going on my honeymoon in February time 
and then got back. Ryan had been going for a couple of months and he was like, right, we good to go. And then that little bug come around called COVID and mm. I was like, I might, I might sit tight and just see what happens. Obviously, no one had no, I had no idea how, how big it was, you know, mm. was going to go and completely change the world. And then, yeah, it sort of bit the bullet really to, to get on board and go with him in March. And then a week later, it was sort of locked down, couldn't leave the house at all. And we had to get creative. And, and the beauty of what we do, all of my my vendors want to sell to all of Ryan's market mm. in the end user technical space. So we accidentally become sort of an event business for the first three months when no one was recruiting. For us, it added a lot of value in that we could do thought leadership events for the CISOs and bring a lot of value to them. And we could yeah, help. What CISOs, just quickly, just for people like just, and uh, like Lam- yeah. it could be what? So like chief, directors, chief. Yeah, chief C-suite. information security officer. Okay, cool. So yeah, they, they, they run all the security stuff in, okay. in an end user. And all of my vendors wanted to sell to them. Right. Um, obviously, not a lot of people were spending money. So we were like, well, why don't we just do thought leadership sessions? You know, Ryan was telling me what was a hot topic in the in the technical community. And then I would identify a vendor that we were targeting or worked with to see if they want to get involved and, and do the thought leadership session with us because they're, they're product aligned to that particular problem. And we didn't really know how much to charge, if I'm honest, because it was quite, <laughs> as I said, I've done, we've done recruitment for five, ten years between us. And... Um, We'd done events, but we'd pay for those events and those thought leadership sessions. We didn't know a company would actually pay us to do an event for mm. them. And then sort of the prices just went up event after event until the point where we had sort of people reaching out saying, can we do an event with you? And it was, well, I'll be honest, recruitment's picked up now. We're not really an event company. So we like to do them every three to six months just to bring the, the community together. But we did them more frequently over lockdown because, yeah, no one was hiring. Mm. Um, and then from that point, we're about three months in. Ryan wanted to keep it a bit of a lifestyle business, which is why he sort of come to me and it'd be a bit of a cash cow. I obviously joined as a minority shareholder. And for me, it was all about going on a journey and you know, creating value for a business. Um, and then we quite quickly decided, right, we are going to scale this and you know, it's going to be big and it's purely going to be focused on cybersecurity. We know we, we really defined our value proposition quite early on mm. and we worked well with each other, which was the main thing. So we had a lot of fun and that first year was the funnest year. There was a lot of flexibility to, you know, take clients out, go play a lot of golf. Overheads were very low. We didn't have a lot of people in the business. We had like this, this two man office initially. Where we sort of both had our little corners to, to get things going. And then Joe Head joined quite early on into the journey. I think we were about sort of three, three months. And then we sort of squeezed an extra desk on the end without, without telling the, uh, the office company that <laughs> there was actually three of us up there. And then, yeah, it sort of took off from there, really. So that's well, it. So you didn't do cybersecurity before? No. So that's what, I, like, you're talking about, like, yeah, you're talking about, like, yeah, just getting into with these new relationships, new networks, but you hadn't done that before. Yeah, that was the scariest thing for me. So that's why, you know, I knew I was, could do recruitment. I mm. could run a process. I loved recruitment. I was passionate about it, which is why I thought, you know, I want to really grow something and be part of the business. And then when I sort of joined Ryan, I sort of had to, because Ryan had never done the GTM stuff either. Mm. So he was like, I've recruited for some of these vendors, but you'll sort of have to figure it out. So being honest, I was fully expecting to be looking for a new job after three to six months. Really? <laughs> but yeah, again, going down to being disciplined and how did, So how, just talk us through that. Like, how did you, because I think a lot of people can learn from this. So how did Jamie approach? I've never recruited in this space before. Yeah. I've never done go-to-market teams. Like you said, you was in a very specific patch, talking to very specific people for five years. Yeah. You're now speaking, you're using all this language and lingo that obviously is now second nature to you, but it wouldn't have been at the beginning. How did you approach adapting to that? How did you 
not be overcome with like I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. I'm gonna sound incredible. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, how did you approach adapting to a brand new market? It comes down to being an expert in recruitment. Mm. You are you're obviously more credible and you win more work when you become an expert in your market. But in the early doors, it was it was working the candidate because no one was hiring anyway. So. I was talking to candidates, understanding what they actually did and how, what a GTM was. Where I'd worked with, with Ryan before, before we obviously bit the bullet, I was learning about cybersecurity and, you know, he was teaching me a lot. So I understood the, the concept of it. And then thereafter, you know, it was sort of Ryan's wife had just given birth two weeks after I got on board. Mm. He sort of sent me a, a laptop and was like, right, let's, let's figure, it out, figure it out between us. Yeah, we had no system, so it was on Excel for a couple of months before we put, put Bullhorn in. And, yeah, the biggest thing for me was was reaching out and, and speaking to candidates. You know, I was, I was honest with them. Like, I'll be honest, talk me through what that means. And just understanding what it is they sold, understanding what their challenges were, and then providing them advice about, you know, how you interview, what mm. a recruitment process looks like, and just coming across as a credible recruitment expert rather than a credible cybersecurity expert. Because you can learn the market quite quickly, but the nuts and bolts of recruitment doesn't change in, in any market you're in, really. You know, I've adapted my style a little bit because it's a global role I'm in now. So, you know, I can be up at 6am working with Israel and then up at 9pm working with San Francisco because that's where a lot of the product hubs sit. And then they build their sales team regionally in each region. So that was the thing I found hardest going from working anything south of High Wycombe <laughs> to the M3 corridor to now work in global mm. and it's how do you not be overwhelmed with with everything you know you can be really busy achieving absolutely nothing because there's just so much to get after the you know the world really is your oyster mm. um does that help yeah that does yeah so yeah. that that's, i just find that you are you're sort of talking about it like it was a bit like a breeze that's why that's why i'm just <laughs> interested you know what i mean but yeah. clearly that like you just said then it, that can be really overwhelming but what the advice that I really like there is you lent into where you can add value, where your skills were, recruitment. Yeah. And you sort of own the fact that, okay, yeah, I'm not a, an expert at cybersecurity. However, these are some of the ways that I can help you and I can showcase that by coaching on interviews or talking about recruitment processes or talking about how you can better stand out so you can get in front of better hiring managers and these things. Because I think, I'm sure you've seen that a lot, a lot of people can get caught up on, oh, I have, I have no clue about cybersecurity, I'm going to look stupid. So I, I think that's really good advice. So why don't we, I think what I wanted to make sure, let, let's just start here and then we'll go into more of like the business stuff. But um, I think I put down here, again, I might have this wrong, but I think you said it might have been last year where you shared with me that it was either like 40 or 50% of the, the new logos that Intasa brought on you was involved in. In the GTM side, In the GTM yeah. side, yeah. Yeah, so all of our vendors, I'd, I'd signed about 50 of them, 50 Yeah, so around 60 new logos won by the end of year two, 50% of them brought on by you. Yeah. Right, so let's fucking talk about this. Yeah. What? Firstly, talking about go-to-market teams and things, like what was your go-to-market strategy? How did you approach even acquiring these logos? What was the initial strategy? This podcast is proudly sponsored by Sourcebreaker. And today... I wanted to talk to you about sales opportunities and how Sourcebreaker can help. Because are you tired of the competition beating you to new sales opportunities? Do you want to make more placements from your existing resources? Who doesn't? Transform the way you work with Sourcebreaker. 
Revolutionizing recruitment with AI-powered technology, Sourcebreaker powers you with laser-accurate search results across all your sourcing platforms to build candidate pools filled with highly qualified individuals, all from one place, not from multiple tabs in different places. You will get perfect fit opportunities automatically tracking relevant vacancies and events in your market niche in real time and pre-built automations that constantly scope your markets to deliver high quality results at speeds your competitors simply can't match. Head over to sourcebreaker.com for more information. Back to the episode. So there's sort of two ways to break it down. Initially, it was the working the candidate, understanding the market, who was hiring, what sort of, you know, where they're interviewing, how we can help them. And just really understanding the market. I'll be honest that we didn't really, we didn't have Sourcebreaker. We didn't have any of the AI tools to do that market mapping. It was, it was quite old school. What I did five years ago when I first learned how to do recruitment on my market, speak the candidate, figure out where they're interviewing, who's hiring, what, what vertical cybersecurity is, is hot. And then that allowed me to build out, you know, a client plan. We, couple of months in decided it wasn't a good idea running a business on Excel. So <laughs> we got a bullhorn and um, then I was able to build out my client plan, sort of figured out who was hiring and, and a hot area of sort of cybersecurity products. And I was able to reach out to those businesses and it was articulating our value proposition of, look, we, we cover the t- cybersecurity ecosystem. We do a lot of events with cybersecurity vendors for our CISOs as, as thought leaderships to, to bring a lot of value to the community. And they were really interested in being a part of that rather than just hi, I'm Jamie from Intasso. Have you got any jobs? Mm. So that was the most important thing, really nailing down what our value proposition was. And, you know, it's fine if it was just a case of, have you got any jobs or, you know, specking some CVs out, you, you can do that and you can win work that way. But that allowed us to build more stickier, incredible relationships with the VPs and the CROs and the hiring community who knew what was going on across the full business. So that was one area and that just sort of scaled organically and you pick up a job, you do a good job and it's, uh, you know, I see you connected to, to Steve over at this company. I'll be honest, I've heard good things about them. Could you team me up an intro? And they like working with me. We've done an event with them and they want to add a bit of value to their, their mate and, you know, they'll make the intro. What then happened was we sort of targeted the, the VC space. So I did a little bit before in my last job and I always knew know it's a longer play. I think when you target VCs, you you think the floodgates are going to open the second you sign an MSA or, or a framework with one of them. And they're really hard to build relationships with. One, because they're very busy. They're spinning so many different plates. Two, because you don't know who to target in those businesses because they just put partner and they could be a partner for, for anything. Mm. So it was identifying the, the VCs that invested heavily in cybersecurity and reaching out to them to see how we can add value to their portfolios. One, for our event side of things, which we've done in the past, and two, how a framework can help them scale because the beauty about any SaaS product is they get millions of pounds in funding. And part of that is grow at all costs. And to grow at all costs, you need to hire people. Mm. So it's not just one finance director job like I used to place. It's we need 20 account execs in EMEA and an account exec, the basic salary is about 100K. Mm. So the fees were really good. And... Obviously, 
venture capital want to try and reduce that cost. So we could put some frameworks in place for their portfolio companies. And that's how we spread out across a wider number of portfolios, which worked really well. And then I've sort of just been holding on to the coattails of it. All right, let's, let's break this down. Okay. So firstly, love the, just again, just it's, it's interesting how sometimes things can, like in today's world, there can be all these different things that you could do. It could be LinkedIn recruiter, source breaker, all these things, but yeah. you're like, yeah, just spoke to candidates, ask good questions, use the information, and I was taking action, right? Yeah. That was actually what you were talking about there, just world-class basics. So you've said a lot around, I just want to make sure that people will get this. So when you say value proposition, yeah, what does that actually mean? Like, what are you actually saying? What does that look like? Because clearly that's been important. You've mentioned the events. We've really nailed down our value proposition. We're saying to people, this is what our value proposition is. Yeah. What does that actually sound like and what does that look like? So it's what, what's the purpose of this individual building a long-term relationship with you is the biggest thing because mm. I think recruitment you can either be a numbers recruiter where we'll go to that business because we'll get you know 10 CVs we might hire a candidate through them we'll just have to kiss a few frogs or you've got the sort of true I think the word consultant gets thrown mm. around a lot but you've got the consultant led recruiter where you are an industry expert and they trust the CVs that you'll be sending to them and by articulating what in Tasso does as a business yes you need your personal branding around hi i'm jamie this is what i do this is my market i'm part of intasso and this is what intasso does in the cybersecurity ecosystem mm. it's quite attractive to a lot of people to build those long-term relationships with us because mm -hmm. the thing we try and instill across the team is it's not a candidate it's not a client you know it's, it's a customer call because so i think that's where people become terrified of business development <laughs> it's like well that's fine just call them introduce what we do at intasso what we do in the cybersecurity ecosystem what we're trying to build and do they want to be a part of that? You know, mm. they might be struggling to hire people. Great. Or they might not be enjoying it and we can try and place them. And that's what sort of separates us and other recruiters a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Does that answer the question? Yeah, it does. No, I was just thinking then it'd be crazy to think the amount of people, amount of recruiters, if you were to, if you're listening right now and we were to ask you, what's your value proposition or what makes your company yeah. unique or like what makes it different? Why should a customer engage with you? I don't know how many people can answer that question or might find it difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And it is hard. It's, it, I'm not saying it's easy. It's really hard to, to nail it. But as long as you can, as a business, you know what your value proposition is. And I think where it is hard is a, in a larger recruitment company who mm. do everything. Whereas we're, like I said earlier, sort of an inch wide and a mile deep. It's all mm. we know. It's all we do. So it makes sense for those individuals to build a relationship with us because that's what we do. And over time, we've, you know, we've filled some really big VP, C-suite jobs, and it's a very small ecosystem cyber. And the word starts to spread. Mm. And then you tend to get introductions and it sort of snowballs. And back to what I said earlier around your discipline, it's easy for things to slip through the net if you don't have a process in place and track those introductions and have a follow-up process because you'll get introduced to a VP and it'll be a, hi Steve, I've just used Jamie to hire some people. I know you've been struggling, thought you guys should connect. And then you'll reach out, thanks for the intro, and you'll never hear back. Mm. That's not because they don't want to hear from you, it's because they're really busy. And then you need to follow up, follow up, follow up, follow up. And then you know, if you don't hear by the second or third time, just go back to the person who introduced you and say, thanks for the intro, I've not heard back. But um, I don't know if you could try and team me up another intro or if they're not interested and take it from there. Yeah. Yes, a lot of people miss that, don't they? Yeah, and I think it's that's where you can get overwhelmed with tech stacks. 
everyone's so hung up on automation and what the next tool is to try and make your job easier. But it's not a hard job as long as you do the basics right and mm. build relationships with people and go back to people when you say you will. You don't need to target 200 businesses in one go. You can target 20 businesses as long as you've got the right relationships. Mm. And I think that's where it can become quite a stressful job at the moment because we've been... You know, I interview a lot of recruiters for us and one of the first questions is, what tech stack have you got? Really? And it's, okay, it's not not really a question I want to hear, if I'm honest. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do. We have invested in Sourcebreaker. We do use Talent Insights and we use all of those systems now. It does make your job easier, but I just think you need to do the basics. Great. And you'll be successful. Okay, I'm going to ask you about the VC stuff, but let, let's just focus on this for a sec, because I think this would be helpful for people. And I know we're going in the granular of the BD here, but that that is, I know that's something that you clearly fucking enjoy, have done yeah. well at, and the business wouldn't be where it is if, obviously, I know you were talking about the GTM team here, but obviously fundamental to a recruitment business being successful is being able to consistently win good quality business. Yeah, That's like fundamental to it. That is a very big part of it. So this will be valuable for a lot of people, but let's just describe, we do hear this, do the basics well, that we hear that chucked around a lot. So from your perspective, what are the world-class basics when it comes to exceptional BD? Like if I am absolutely brilliant at BD, what do my... Yeah basics look like that I'm disciplined with that I'm doing daily weekly what do they actually look like from your perspective you need to be confident and relaxed in your process because I think that comes across when you're speaking to to hiring managers and part of that a big part of that is the system and your process of how you know we grade relationships from a b and c you know how you progress someone from a c relationship to to an a relationship and part of that is having them in a call cycle in a meeting cycle and you look at the pyramid of control, right? And sometimes interview recruiters, it's, I've never met them. And then it's like, well, how, like, you need to have those relationships to sort of lean on those individuals during, you know, tough negotiation processes or relationship breaks down with other stakeholders in the business to, to sort of fight your corner. So exceptional BD for me is having a process in place on, on the system that can take the pressure out of your brain and you remembering everything. So, so what is that? Sorry to butt in. Yeah. Sorry if that's annoying you people. But like, I think that's a key bit there. Just describe what a typical process might be. It might be a process that you've used or someone yeah. in your team uses, because I think that is what a lot of people miss. Yeah. And you're talking about that. Stop being overwhelmed by, I have to do all this different BD. Where do I start? You're saying, what is your process and do you have one? So could as you were going on there, sorry, could you just explain what an example process might be? Yeah. So, I mean, let's say you, you've got a candidate interviewing, we call them the, the sort of one percenters to help get them the job and, and close the deal. And it's how can you help them? Part of that is a, a testimonial rather mm. than a reference. So, you know, is there an online manager that we can go and get a testimonial from? And most account execs or salespeople want to sell themselves. So they're like, yeah, go and speak to Joe Bloggs, reaching out to Joe Bloggs, getting a testimonial. And if Joe Bloggs is already in your network, great. But for this example, let's say they're not, and then sort of closing that call with just as a high level overview, you're clearly in cyber. This is what we do. I'd love to have you in our network. And I think where people go wrong in those sort of calls is trying to flip it to BD call straight away. And mm. it's about bringing that person into your community because they've taken the time to give you this testimonial on one of your candidates you've got interviewing to help get them the job. And they might be looking for a job themselves or 
they might know we're about to land Series B and I'm going to have to go hire 30 people and I've got no idea where I'm getting them from. And then you sort of put that person into your database and system and then, you know, whatever your agreed SLAs are internally, you keep in touch with them. Mm. And then every call, it sounds like really basic stuff, but every call is, what's the outcome? You know, you're going to go meet them for a coffee, you're going to go play golf with them. How are you going to take them from a cold contact to a professional friend and someone that you... You know, enjoys taking your calls and calls you back. Mm. So the first part then, sorry, I know I made you go into that, but like, I know yeah. that'd be useful for people. So you said the first part was, yeah, giving your brain a break and having processes and tools and like just processes that you can follow. Yeah. That it's more of, I need to do this rather than how should like, oh, how could I, like you just said, you're not thinking, how can I turn this person into a professional friend? You've got like a, a steps that I can follow. So all I need to be disciplined with is doing the steps, yeah. which is the following up, which is just doing the high value. How how happy would you be to be in our network? Okay, cool. And then it's like, okay, right, two weeks from now, I'm going to drop them a call and you just need to do the steps rather than have do the thinking on the how. Yeah, that's it. That's the biggest thing. And that's where the, the system comes into place and in that you haven't got to remember all this stuff. Mm. And if you enjoy, you're in recruitment because you enjoy talking to people and you enjoy people and working with people, you can enjoy those conversations. It's not necessarily a case of you get to, I mean, look, I'm not perfect. So there are times I do forget to put things in the system and, you know, I expect everyone does that. It's six months time, you see someone just got a new job and it's, ah, oh, shit, <laughs> I didn't keep in contact with them. Mm. And then it's, you got to make a call. Do you pick up the phone? Because they may not have had, you know, they might you know, not have appreciated that. Or they actually just didn't want you to hound them because they've they've got a job anyway. Mm. Um, and, and then you go on to work with them. So that's the thing I found that helped me the most. It's quite granular BD, what, what we're talking about now. Mm. But that's the sort of basic fundamentals of, of any good recruitment BD plan. Mm. And just treating that human as a customer rather than having them coded up as a candidate or a client. client, But obviously when you do work with them as a client, you need them in a particular business. And then, yeah. So let's segue into the VC piece because we've spoken about this a few times with different founders on Mm. the podcast. It's definitely been more in conversations in certain industries. So firstly, how long did it take for you to get onto the end outcome, which was to get on the framework? How long did it take? This podcast is proudly sponsored by Vincere. Today, I wanna talk to you about the power of the recruitment operating system. Disjointed tech systems are painful for growing recruitment companies. Too much admin, bad data, and no visibility. It's holding back recruitment organizations. Meet Vincere. Vincere is the creator of the recruitment operating system a modern operating system for recruitment and staffing agencies worldwide. This natively integrated tech platform syncs data and workflows across recruitment agencies, front, middle, and back offices. Start off with a suite of modules, a core CRM, ATS, advanced reporting and analytics, video interviewing, and more. That's just their core product. Vincere also works with a pre-integrated access products to expand your tech capabilities. Link up your recruitment websites powered by Volcanic or cover screening and pay and bill with the fast track integration. It's time to unite front, middle and back offices on a single recruitment technology platform. Unleash growth without gravity. Let's go. 
Find out more on vincherry.io. And because you listen to this podcast, you get a discount. Check it out. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Probably, well, the first one was actually an accident. Not an accident. I was targeting one, what you find is there's so much risk involved in these deals where it's tens of millions to hundreds of millions of dollars that these VCs are putting in. So they tend to buddy up on them and go in together to, to minimise that risk. I was sort of chipping away at one and we got invited to a, a party in Vegas when we were at a show over there. And then I sort of bumped into someone and I was like, well, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a VC partner for this firm. And then I was like, what do you do? Sort of general networking chit chat. And it was, oh, we need a we need a CISO for one of our customers, uh, one of our portfolios. And I was like, oh, perfect, that's all what we do. And then the sort of, as I said, you don't really sort of dive into talking shop at these sort of things. The conversations went elsewhere and it's sort of all about the process, having that follow-up process after bumping shoulders at this party. And then we went on a follow-up call. And then you know, a couple of months later, we went on to place that CISO. And yeah, that was you know, quite a tasty fee that come off the back of it. And then that sort of snowballed organically in terms of, that VC was really happy because they'd been recruiting that CISO for a year and couldn't find anyone for the job and introduced us to another VC that they buddy up in with, with a lot of their deals. And then from there, it just sort of snowballed really until we've got that full market map and the main VCs that work in our industry. And then yet yeah, we've got our framework we can offer them. And then we also sort of support them with, with events through our CISO community as well, which they want to get value in that. Yeah, the value. Yeah. So, so when you, sorry, you don't have to go into the absolute like nitty gritty, but when you say framework, like what we're talking here, are you basically saying if they invest in a company or part of their portfolio companies need to hire X amount of people or hire these certain people, Intasso yeah. is our partner and we've agreed that they will do it at this? Yeah, to, to an extent. I suppose the, yeah, without going into it too much, what I find is a lot of an MSA or a contract is quite a scary word, mm. whereas a framework is these are a partner, up to you if you want to use them. Right. And a lot of the time, it depends on the VC you're working with, some who invest early stages, the, the businesses they're acquiring, they've got no recruitment processes. Mm. So they need a lot more from a recruitment partner right. versus a VC that gets involved in later stages that have internal recruitment teams they might not need that much help from you other yeah. than a, you know, exec search. Mm. So you said that these people are busy. It's really hard. Like what did you, obviously clearly persistence, discipline, having yeah. a process. Was there anything that you found worked more effectively besides just bumping into people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bump, that was pr- yeah, probably not the best example, bumping into someone. No, but that, yeah. that was because you you speak to people, you got invited there because clearly yeah. you were building relationships. Like, there's a reason why you was there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get that. So yeah, no. So in terms of the process to find out who these guys are, it's not a case of targeting the VCs. It's doing your traditional business development, targeting your the vendors you want to, to approach. Mm. And then as you start to build relationship with them, uh, who's your backers? Uh, you know, these guys are invested in us. Uh, who's the partner you work with there? And then trying to figure it out that way. Because if they tell you who their backer is, you'll type that VC firm in and they'll have 50 people that all have the job title partner. And you have no idea what partner manages what portfolio. And then I think you said to me, obviously the idea here is you get in early because you've got that relationship. It's like in Tasso, yeah, we're just investing in this company. They need, like you said, 30 people. So there's huge, obviously, potential opportunities. And it's not ones and twos. It's like projects and these things. But also the long-term players, if you have a dramatic positive impact on that business, guess what? Like as they, if they continue to grow, raise more money, there's obviously a real lot, there's a short-term amazing opportunity, but also yeah. long-term. But like you said to me when we prepared for this, 
people would think, oh my God, like we've got this agreement with them. Yeah. Fucking sorted. We're going to have X number of opportunities this year. They're going to invest in all these different companies. But you said to me, it doesn't quite work out like that. The floodgates don't open. Yeah. So how, how did you then make sure that you maximize the opportunity that you got trusted with and got given by having an agreed framework with these VCs? How did you maximize it? Yeah. So they're, you know, the partner's busy person managing a lot of different portfolios. So you can't just sign this and expect, great, Steve's going to do all my business development for me and introduce me to all of the businesses. It's taking it upon yourself to do some targeted BD. And, you know, this is sort of cold BD, you know, what companies are in their portfolios and sort of reaching out to them targeted of, hey, we've not spoken before. I work with these other companies in your portfolios. We've actually got a framework in place with your investors can we tee up a quick intro call? Love to mm. see how we can help. And then again, that just goes into a sales cycle. And then you might have eventually a partner reach out to you saying, hey, but this company's struggling to hire someone. Can I tee you up an intro? That That's like, that's the ideal scenario, but you can't rely on that. Can't rely on that, yeah. So I know we've gone really grinding on the BD here. Yeah. I know that would be helpful. <laughs> but also like for, for business owners, it's essential. Like yeah. thinking about strategic business development. And that's what we're talking uh, about here. And we've also spoken about just how you approached it. So let's get your business owner hat on then. Yeah. Let's just start with what's been most difficult so far on you being an entrepreneur, you managing leading people, you and Ryan growing a business. What, what's what been most difficult that maybe you've been surprised by? I've been surprised. But I suppose the, the thing I personally found, we're, we're really good in terms of how we work in that Ryan's great at leading people and telling a journey and, you know, bigger picture, whereas I'm really good at sort of the sales operations. Mm. And when we, we did go for a big system change, we needed something that would work globally. Our vision is to not have 50 people in one office. It's about to have experts in different uh, regions. So London covers the Fulhamia region. We got the North Carolina guys, which covers North America. And, you know, eventually we'll have Singapore go live to, to cover APAC. So we moved over to Salesforce. I expected a plug and play sort of thing over from Bullhorn. <laughs> that was really tough in that we then had to redefine all our processes. It was a really painful six, six months. That was our fault in that internally we just, we assumed a lot that mm. it was sort of out of the box. And then when it's gone live, it's yeah, sort of the best product we, we could have put into the business in terms of managing our sales process because it's a product for sales process. Mm. That was the biggest technical challenge we had. The biggest softer sort of challenge we had was sort of how we bring people on the journey. Because like most startups, you, you bring on board experienced people because they're good at what they do and you bring them on the journey and then eventually you start to bring sort of other people into the business who you might not know and mm -hmm. you just assume that their process is how you work and, and vice versa and what we push really hard is there's no one size fits all model for recruitment and I think that's where recruiters look for new jobs because they get pissed off their boss is saying hey this is our process like it or lump it and I get you need that to an extent but as long as it's an overall model of mm. These are the outputs we expect, you know, whether it takes you 10, 20 calls or you'd rather, you know, showcase your candidates through tailored spec CVs or you want to have a, you know, an emailed BD strategy. That's fine as long as we're sort of seeing those outputs. Mm -hmm. That sort of defining that overall business sort of process was the hardest part because at the beginning it's you have a lot of fun and I know what works for me, Ryan knows what works for him, Joe knows what works for him and, you know, we're all 
spilling a lot of money and having a lot of fun overheads are low and then you sort of need that structure as, as you scale to to prevent anything like that happening mm. how difficult have you found hiring yeah really hard the people we do get we've we get really good people, but what we've we struggled with was some sort of interview framework. You asked me a question the other day. I forgot something to do around how do you what was the question you asked the other day? What, which what, what when? About the key competencies you look for when you hire people. Oh you, right, yeah, like what the yeah, in ter- what in terms of what the non negotiables are that you look yeah, for. Yeah, that is it. And that made me think we don't I don't think we actually had any non negotiables. Mm. I think the biggest thing for us was the softer skills. You know, someone who come from not doing finance, but enjoyed working with people and the recruitment process. And this was a career for me, not a stopgap, like it is for some people when they leave university. Mm. That was the biggest thing for us. But now we do look at some technical skills around what process looks like for individuals. So that's, that was a really hard bit. And in terms of how, how we've interviewed that, we have had to sit down and you know put some sort of almost a competency framework together around the sort of questions we're going to ask to sort of see what the answers are, just try and avoid bad hiring. But yeah, you don't you don't want you you don't want Ryan to do an interview that's entirely different to the interview that you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think what we found early on was Ryan or I or Joe would find someone and then be like, Oh, can you meet this person then? <laughs> I can meet this person. He's like, You're literally asking me everything Ryan or Joe asked me last week mm. and it's like, ah, sorry. Uh <laughs> And then, um, yeah, now we've got a, a proper framework in place. But that's the fun of this, being like a, an early start. And that was everything mm. I was looking for in that you're you're sort of doing everything. Mm. And then eventually as, you know, you get more revenue, you can start to bring people in to be subject matter experts of, you know, operations. Like Sam, honestly, if, <laughs> yeah, if anything ever happened to Sam, we'd be screwed. She, <laughs> she basically who, who, runs... What does he do? Uh, Sam Thorpe, she's our ops manager. Okay. Um, so When did you get an ops manager? About... 18 months ago. So um, how many of you were there? Eight of us. That's an interesting high at that stage. Yeah. Well, I mean, we knew it wasn't going to be a lifestyle thing. Mm. And the the cyber market went mental and we were beneficiaries of that because when COVID hit in 2020, there was six billion invested in cybersecurity. Wow. In 2022, there was 22 billion wow. invested in cybersecurity. So yeah, three times the, the year before. And it w- was grow at all costs. And when we hired Sam, we you know, we had like, we were getting clients emailing us saying we need to hire 30 people. Wow. So we knew the revenue was there and it's, okay, let's make hay now. The fulfillment, um, the people. Yeah. So just because um, I think this would be really interesting, like I recorded a podcast yesterday where we really focused on a lot of, I don't know if you've ended up growing your network or speaking to peers that are on the similar sort of entrepreneurial journey, but... Obviously, a lot of the the sort of UK recruitment business makeup is made up of businesses that that are like under ten heads, yeah. um, like eight, eighty-two percent of it, whatever, wherever, depending on where you look at the stats. And a lot of people do yo-yo from like fifteen to eight or twelve to eight, whatever. And I think a lot of the time, just from interviewing people, from speaking to people, when I do speak to businesses that are at that sort of eight stage. It is a lot of the time just like just chaos. Like there's no processes, there's no systems like you were just talking about, which you've had to implement, which has clearly had an impact on you getting more now to nearly 20 people. But with her, with you describing that person as like, I don't know what we do without her. Yeah. Like what what does that person do? Like what they're responsible for? Why have they been so impactful? Because I think that is something for entrepreneurs to consider of. There's eight, like I sat down with someone this week where there's, 
10 of them and they're like how the fuck do we get to 20 because we know if we keep approaching things how we are now it probably isn't going to work so it's like okay well maybe we do actually need to have someone in the business that isn't a salesperson isn't these things so what 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 did you hire that person to do yeah again this was um something ryan's really good at and i suppose the how the dynamic works with sort of me coming in and sort of joe as well in that we sort of hold him accountable to, to scaling the business because <laughs> yeah we're here to actually do something and then we sort of yeah like what you just said right we got to eight people we were doing too much and we probably weren't doing jobs we were good at and then we brought sam in and just sort of little things she does around sort of how she runs finance with our finance provider and sort of she's hired a you know an account a management accountant recently to internally to, to help us and taking the finance side of things away and then she sort of took on board the the CRM stuff I mean I'm I'm really good at you know, telling the, what the recruitment process is and the sort of steps we need I can't actually do it very well I'm not like in the I'm actual not, system yeah, itself yeah, yeah yeah I'm not I'm not a techie and it allows us to do what we were better at and that's being customer facing and then that again helped us that just took us to that next level because we had so much more free time Sam's doing everything she enjoys which was sales operations and the sales teams weren't having to do as much admin as they were doing when they'd done a deal or for interview processes interview confirmations we, we had all that support now mm. so that was sort of fundamental getting us from that sort of 8 to 10 to 18 to 20 where we are now and now we're sort of figuring out what those steps are what, the, ne- yeah. what the next steps are what's going to turn the dial are there any other like um i want to call them like systems and process i know we've used that word a lot but are there any other like fundamental company processes that you've that maybe sounds been involved in implementing or whatever that you think has enabled you know give you more confidence that there's more there's more people but we've yeah we've got a process uh, around these things that enables everyone like you just said to not just be in the case of like how the fuck do I do this how the fuck do I do that is there anything else like you said finance there you said the sales operations so like you can help her know what the recruitment process needs to look like, but then she's the person executing, getting that built in Salesforce and doing it. Mm. Is there any other processes or systems that you've built internally that you think's enabled you to get to um, just double in size? So the um, sort of take the, in terms of how we structure the team, sort of build, build the culture, that was actually a big part of that. So every Monday we have a kick, cause we're, we're a remote first business. We have mm. got an office, but people like work, we set up, in the middle of COVID, right? So we couldn't mm. go to an office. So we had to learn to work remotely. And the biggest problem was being isolated and how we bring people together. So we, you know, every Monday we have our kickoff meeting. Every Friday we have our wrap-up meeting. And locally in our individual teams on a Wednesday, we have like a sort of job MOT to see where we are to, to help us forecast. Sort of being able to build the system and the you know, support we got from Sam to build that system those meetings were so much more impactful and data driven around mm. sort of deals we've closed, what the revenue looks like, what the pipeline looks like, some pretty graphs around where we are with targets. And, you know, people go away, hopefully, I think, motivated from those meetings to sort of know the direction we're heading in. And that kept everyone singing on the same hymn sheet, which was you know, really fundamental. Yeah, that's um, really useful. I literally spoke to a founder this week who was there, I think they're around like eight people and they've just implemented like some new CRM and stuff like that. And it was like, honestly, last year had no visibility on what people were doing. Yeah. <laughs> no fucking clue. Yeah. And a lot of people like, so I under, that's a really good point. It's like, we did have these sort of, yeah, weekly cadences of like the monthly kickoff, 
midweek at the end of the week but then having someone like Sam in there can actually add a lot more tangibles and clarity around where we are yeah what we need to be focusing on so that's a really good point on the culture piece then how have how have you approached that like how have you thought about intentionally building the Intasso culture like how have you approached that do you think yeah that was probably the hardest thing because mm. you're bringing people in that you haven't worked with before um <laughs> so you sort of need to get everyone to keep their own unique flair so they they stay passionate but also they're bought into the to the vision where we're going on so you know part of our why people like working here i think is because they get a lot of trust to work remotely and work when you want unlimited holiday we've got sort of the quarterly metrics we agree with everyone so everyone knows what they need to deliver that quarter which keeps them dialed in individually and then it's important we bring the team together so it's not a sort of high performance club. Everyone comes on it. So every quarter we all get together, sales ops, a sales team. And it's not just a, a piss up because I think everyone's <laughs> sick of those. Mm. It's like we're going on a cooking class next month for, for Q1. So it's quirky little things to bring bring the team together, which is important. I think the big one is what I mentioned earlier around communicating properly as, as a business and make sure and it's quality communication. Mm. Um, I think we're guilty of it as well. Some kickoff meetings we go really into the granular around the job and a process and what's happening with it but that's that one unique situation and as long as you can keep it sort of wider business around sort of where the whole company is that keeps everyone dialed in and motivated to, to what we're we're trying to achieve mm. yeah i love that it's it's interesting that that is the cool thing about having your own business that you are literally creating and crafting a culture like that's that's one of your jobs yeah, it's hard because you, you do it and then you're like Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, you, you either get a good reaction or a bad reaction mm. and you sort of roll with it now. But yeah. So thinking about, if you think about this, the Intasso journey so far, it's obviously, it's going in an upward trajectory, right? So what do you think would be the biggest reason why that won't continue if we were to sit down at the end of this year? She said, obviously, end of 2022, 1.8 million net fee income. Like, what do you think could be the biggest reason why you don't end up then continuing to grow that and that becomes 2.5, 2.8 at the end of this year? Yeah, I think it, it you know, it's certainly not going to be 100% year on year growth, mm. sort of where we are now. As I said, we were beneficiaries of, of COVID. There, there were winners and losers off the back of that. If I look at investment into cybersecurity, it was 22 billion in 21. 22 it dropped down to like 16 billion that was because there was that hype and we rode the wave you know it's not it is going to come down i don't think it will go much lower than that so cybersecurity will continue growing we're just not going to see the the levels of investment and growth we saw so that means we need to work harder to be over our customer base mm. as opposed to one business emailing us 30 jobs it's going to be one business where we do two or three deals in like mm -hmm. like what it was pre-covid so that might be one reason things slow down because of market conditions but mm. that, that ultimately is, is an excuse uh, <laughs> as long as we're doing the basics right and if the market isn't there the market is, isn't there but I, I don't think that'll change and then how important do you think you having a u.s presence will be yeah the, for it keep going in the right direction yeah, that's going to be massive for us. Um, you know, cybersecurity, the market is like 10 times what it is in, in the UK and the EMEA region. A lot of the companies are actually founded in Israel, but then moved to North America because it's a, a good hub for them for one, for talent and two, for investment and market presence. We knew we wanted to go into the US 
quite early on. The biggest thing for us is we didn't want to do it sort of half-assed and sort of semi-try and do some deals from the UK. So we were turning a lot of work down where our customers wanted us to recruit for them in North America. So when we thought about doing it, it was, okay, let's go hire someone in North America um, and sort of bring them on as a co-founder for that, that business unit so they can sort of turn the dial and drive it. And we're effectively you know, invest in that, give them all of our client base, and then it will add more value to, to our customers. And when we were looking for someone, we didn't really care where they were based. We just needed to find that individual. Mm. And then sort of James popped up, who runs our US office. And it was, I'll be honest, I didn't know where North, North Carolina was on a map. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like uh, Chicago, San Francisco, mm. New York. And um, yeah, it turns out Carolina is a really big cybersecurity hub. And that's that was exactly what needed and confirmed everything that he knew the market. So rather than sending a Brit over to sort of find their feet, he knows his market. We've got our customer base. Um, so for him, you know, year, year one's just been wrapping his arms around our customers, trying to generate revenue, but also trying to scale a team at the same time. So yeah, I've been quite heavily involved in, in helping him do that, which yeah, with a young family has been, <laughs> been pretty tough over the last 12 months because the, the US is predominantly going to be the, the GTM team. Right. Um, and then eventually they'll start to have a CISO and technical team. But yeah, it's more of a local market, whereas the, the vendor GTM stuff, that's that's a global presence. And he may, just as we come to the end here, I'm sure you picked up a lot of recruitment businesses I speak to even now currently fully just committed in the US or mm. have it. Uh, have started to um, make that part of their business plan or they already have people trying to work on it. Is there anything that you found more difficult in the US market that you didn't anticipate? Yes, the, I mean, from a technical skill set, Jane, we joke, you know, he talks a local language, he talks American. (laughs) Uh, So it's really easy for him to take him on client meetings because I think companies in the US, they're inundated with UK companies that want to, Sort of again, ride the wave and you know, launch in the US, but they do it from the UK. So that's helped us, us massively. The the sort of biggest challenge we had was, again, we assumed that all of these customers we have, we work with in EMEA, would just snap us up in North mm. America because we've got such good relationships with them over here. And actually that didn't happen. We had businesses we'd done the odd deal with in EMEA really need our help in North America. And then businesses we do a load of work with in EMEA mm. not actually use us in so North America. it didn't end up being the clients that you think it would be. Yeah. So the the first few months, I was like, why are we not doing any deals here? Like, <laughs> we've done 15 deals there last year. What's the, what are we doing wrong? And then eventually you start to understand. It's like, look, we use you in EMEA because we, we can d- deliver in North America really well. We don't need help here. We need help in... Amir, which is why we've got such a good relationship with you. So that was probably the hardest thing, sort of finding our feet around where we can generate revenue quickly. And it wasn't where we thought we it would be. be. Yeah. Has that ended up being the core of the strategy then that we've got a track record here with you in Namir, we've done this for you in Namir. Yeah. We know that you obviously also have a team in North America. Who do we need to speak to? Happy to connect us. Has that ended up being at the core of the strategy then just really trying to yeah, that's been it. And then obviously James knows the market over there, so he's got his contacts anyway. But he's he's had his restrictions, and now we're yeah, so at a point we'll start where we're doing the net new logo stuff. Yeah, now we're generating new logo over there. Yeah, so just in case of hiring people. So in terms of our growth, the, I think the biggest headcount growth in Tasso is going to be North America over the next um, six or twelve months. Mm. And then do you think you're going to try and grow that with more US people, or 
I mean, the opportunity is there if someone in EMEA wants to go to North America, mm. that opportunity is absolutely there. But yeah, as I said, it, we won't, you know, I've seen businesses, you know, albeit do it really well, where they sort of train people in the UK and then ship them over to North yeah. America to start a new life. <laughs> Whereas for us, it's sort of finding local talent that, that James knows and, you know, we can scale that way and have you know, Americans work the American market. My role is then to eventually just cross-pollinate, really. So making sure that the stuff in America, we work with in EMEA and, and vice versa. Mm. And then how do you think you're going to approach, just curious, like, are you going to still do, like, mainly remote in the US? Was there an office? How are you thinking about that? Yeah, at the moment, there's two people. So we've we've got, like, a, a hub they use. It's like a shared office. Mm. Eventually, now we're starting to see that momentum. It will be invest in an office. But we want to keep the sort of values quite core cool to what we've got in mm. the in the in the EMEA business in that they they can work remote if they want mm. and there's no pressure to come to this office I think where it's really hard to retain people is when you're saying you're in the office sort of three five days a week and it can be quite inflexible so I think we've done a good job retaining people just just having that flexibility mm. well look, I love it I think you've been on such an interesting journey I think like I think obviously we've gone on to a few different places here obviously we went really granular on the BD strategy what we're spoken about getting into the the sort of VC ecosystem, mm. talking about the business journey, how you've approached that, I guess. What are you most excited about then? Because there's a lot going on, yeah. right? I'm most excited for the people coming through the business at the moment. I mean, we're, we're at a point where we've got, last year was a real big growth year for us in terms of hiring people, tech stack system. We've got such a good infrastructure in place now. You know, I've been able to step away from being really into the granular and we've got a really good team of people delivering and picking up those customers. And there's such a good opportunity for Intasso to, to really kick on and grow over the next 12 months from headcount, revenue, profitability over the next 12 months, which is our our main ambition, I say. But we might, might sit down in a year's time. <laughs> it might not go that way, but everything's in place. We just, uh, yeah, just got to make hay. Love it. Jamie, thanks for coming on the pod. I yeah, appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're a online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing, they're actively facing the challenges that your teams are, and a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. 
There's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about recruitment mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly, and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.